So we're in Psalm 46. Before we get into the word, uh, in, in 1517, that's uh, the, the, the Renaissance Reformation period, a guy named Martin Luther, a Catholic monk, posted a document that contained about 95 statements of criticism and concern regarding the abuses and errors of the Roman Catholic Church, and he put it on the door of the, the Wittenberg Cathedral. It sounds a little weird to nail your document to the door, but think of it as going to the, uh, the, the campus facility and posting it on the, the, the community board. He, he wanted to have a conversation about the way that the church at the time had gone wrong. There were errors, there were abuses, and he wanted to address them. Now, unfortunately, the church was not willing to do so. And in January, about three years later, or no, sorry, four years later, he was, he was excommunicated from the church, which uh, in our time doesn't seem like a big deal. You, you get excommunicated from one church, you go down the road, maybe even next door to the next church. But for him... And for the church at the time, it was the church, and it was a big deal. So he was excommunicated for his beliefs, like the belief that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Kind of a big deal that he would be excommunicated from what would be called the church of God for a, what we believe to be a pretty core belief about God, that he saves us by faith alone. And that happened in January of 15. 21, but in April of the same year, Luther was invited by the, the, the Roman emperor, Charles V, to, to a meeting of the, his parliament, of the parliament of the Holy Roman Empire. It's called a diet. Uh, it is not a diet like the Atkins diet. It is a diet like a staff meeting. And so he was invited. It was being held at a place called Worms or Worms, Germany. So if you hear of the diet of worms, it's not about eating worms, though I did make an allusion to that a couple weeks ago. Um, no, it is about a meeting with some people in, in high areas of power. There it was, it was said that he would be given an opportunity to defend his beliefs. But actually his, his opponents wanted to arrest him and have him ex, uh, executed, not excommunicated, but executed as a heretic. So at the meeting, Luther was asked not to, to share his beliefs, but they had his books out and and. They said to him, do you recant of these books? He'd written a number of things, and he's looking at them, and he's a little bit caught off guard because he had expected to be able to, to share what he believed, to explain his beliefs, and to defend them. But instead, they were saying, no, you need to recant. And so he looks at them, and he, he's trying to find a way to, how do I get out of this? How do I address this? How do I even think through this? And he, he steps back, and he says, you know what? This concerns the word of God. There's, there's the words of God in here. There's scripture in here. There's, there's truth in here. I can't just blanket recant all of this because that would be to recant Christ himself. And so they reluctantly give him a day to pray, to think, to respond. And the next day after he's prayed and he's thought about it and he's kind of gathered himself, he gives this famous quote, and he says this to the the council. He says, unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by clear reason, I am bound by the Scriptures I have cited. For my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since to act against one's conscience is neither safe nor right. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen.
And so in this moment of, of facing the reality that he might be executed, arrested, limited in his availability to, to minister, that, that his future was deeply uncertain, he stands and he says, I will not recount from these truths, re- recant from these truths. How does someone stand with that kind of confidence and conviction in the face of danger and even death? Now, you and I, I don't know that many of us are being invited to the church to, uh, to address the many documents that we've written. I don't know that we're facing death necessarily, but, but there's a similar question that we would be willing to ask ourselves. How do, how do I face the trials and the challenges that I see before me with a level of confidence and conviction? How do I, how do, how do I stand before Monday morning, before the... the the opposition that I experience at work, before the the brokenness that I see in my family? How do I stand with confidence and conviction? How do I stand with courage? That's what we're going to be thinking about today. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read Psalm 46. Psalm 46. I'm not sure if they'll be in there, but if if you see a selah, S-E-L-A-H, don't read that. Um, That's just, it's a, It's a liturgical note to pause. Um, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are our fortress, our very present help in times of trouble. You are our strength, and as your word says in another place, you are our portion. And God, I pray that you would minister the kind of peace and confidence that comes from knowing that our eternity is secure in Christ. That though the mountains tremble or the waters roar or our lives are torn apart in turmoil, Lord, you are at the helm of the ship. You are sailing us through the storm and you will carry us where you want us to go. And so long as we trust in you, we will be found on the other side with you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here. Minister your strengthening power to us. 
God, we pray for those who don't trust you, that they would have their eyes open to see both the weakness of their own lives and the strength that you offer in Christ. The promise of salvation and restoration and reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And God, for those who are trusting you and trusting you through the storms, I pray that you would draw near, that we might experience your presence, not just know of it in some sort of mental sense, but that we'd experience the closeness of God, the touch of the Father on our shoulder. Minister to this people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, the psalm here is trying to communicate something about what we rely on. And the idea is that you can rely on God who is your true and present refuge. You can rely on God who is your true and present refuge. And, and at face value, I think many of us would say, yes, I agree with that statement. If it was on a questionnaire, do you believe that God is your true uh, and present refuge, you'd say, check, yes, absolutely. But then in, in, in the middle of the night when you're awakened by your anxiety, the thing you forgot to do, the thing that that person said to you, the thing that happened 10 years ago that still racks your heart with pain, in those moments, if you were given that same questionnaire, what would you check as your refuge? What would you say if it was fill in the blank is the thing that, that you seek out to bring you peace? What is that thing that you seek after to be your fortress? We're going to see that God is with us through natural disaster in the first few verses. Then we're going to see that God is with us uniquely as his people. And finally, we'll see that God is with us through human disaster and really through, through all things. If he's with us through these big dynamic things, he'll be with us through these small things as well. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. He says, God are, is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And then he gives some things that we could fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Where you stand in a storm makes a, different, a big difference about how you experience it. I'll say that again. Where you stand in a storm makes a big difference about how you experience it. A number of days ago, uh, we live in Winchester, but I assume you also got it out here. There was a pretty significant storm. And, and it was the kind of storm where you're like, what? Because you, we got a tornado warning. And we live on the top of a big hill. So I, when I think of tornadoes, I think of like Kansas I think of like flat plains where like you look at one part of the state and you're, you're, you're looking down the road and you see the other part of the state because it's so flat. But we were given the warning that there might be tornadoes because, I don't know, welcome to this year and its weather. And we didn't have, well, I didn't see any tornadoes. There weren't any necessarily reported, but the weather was intense. Um, in our house, we were dry. Uh, but, but there were high winds, there was pelting rain, loud thunder, bright lightning. It was, it was dynamic. It was dynamic. I'm glad it wasn't yours. Um, there was nothing outside that wasn't absolutely inundated by rain. But in our house, we were dry. In our house, the air was only being blown by the air conditioner. 
and in our house we were safe. Where you stand in a storm makes all the difference about how you experience it. The psalmist says that God is our refuge and he's our strength. In other words, he's our, he's our shelter in the storm. He's the one who sustains and strengthens us through the storm. Well, the question would be, okay, well, how, how is he your refuge? He is not a literal building to which we go and we stay in. That'd be nice, that'd be interesting, but it'd have to become a kind of a big building. There are a lot of Christians in the world, it might be uncomfortable. That's not what God does. How is he our, our strength and refuge? The psalmist tells us he's our very present help in, in times of trouble. Other translations says, say our, our ever-present help. He, he's, he's saying he's present, but he's not just present some of the time. He's ever-present. He's always present. He's very present. Now, you may not feel like God is present in your life, but if you're trusting him and living in light of what he has done through Jesus Christ, he is present in a way, in, in a way to bless. Now, theologians will kind of parse out different kinds of presence, right? Most people... And, and certainly within Orthodox Christianity, when they think of God, they think of one who is omnipresent. Remember, that was one of those words that we talk about in Leadwell. Omni meaning all, present meaning present. Um, it's from the Latin for present. Um, that's a joke. That's a bad one. Um, but God is everywhere. That's what that means. But when it says that he's ever present, it's not just talking about the fact that God is here and there and here. Because God's not always there for presence uh, to bless. And, and if you look at the Old Testament, you see that his presence sometimes meant um, judgment. It wasn't blessing. But when it comes to us, as we trust in God, there's a presence that God has for us to bless. For the Old Testament believer, they would go to the temple and, and they, would, they would worship God to be blessed. Right? When, they, when they gathered around uh, as the Israelites came out of Exodus and they gathered around Mount Sinai and the, and the glory of God came in this dynamic cloud with fire, they, they, they gathered to be blessed. And when, when God is with us in this matter, in this way, this presence, he's here to, to bless. That's how he's our refuge. When we are with God, we are protected from the storms of life. Now, the storms may still come, right? When I was at my house, my being in my house did not mean that there was no bad weather. And in your life, you having trusted your life to Jesus Christ does not give you an out-of-jail-free card. There's no, there's no way that you are no longer now experiencing pain or suffering or trials or, or difficulty. That's, that's the, the misconception that the world would like to sell you. That's the, the misconception that, that liars and cheaters and hucksters would like to give you, that if you just trust God, he'll take away all your problems. And, and you go to God, not as the savior of the world and the one to be exalted, as we're gonna talk about in a moment, but you go to him as, as someone who's gonna give you what you really want. But what God says is that when you come to me, I will be with you in the storm. We see that with the disciples on a number of occasions where he's like, go to the other side of that river or the, the other side of that lake. And they're like, okay. And then they get in the middle of the lake and it's this huge, scary storm. And the, and the Sea of Galilee, Galilee was known for its scary storms and they were freaked out. And they're thinking to themselves, God, if you love us, why did you, Jesus, why did you tell us to go? And, and, and he would come and say, well, be quiet, be still. 
And he would show them that he was going to be God through the storm. He wasn't going to zap them out of the storm. There was, no, uh, there was no Star Trek, you know, beam me up Scotty type moment. I wonder, I wonder how well that analogy flies at this point. Anyways. Um, because God is with us, we don't need to fear. He, he says, God is our refuge, dot, dot, dot. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, again, as we're thinking about who our refuge is, what is that thing to which you run so that you might not fear? Or maybe it's not the thing that you run to so that you won't fear, but it's the thing that you run to to numb you from the fear that you have. The scriptures tell us that it's God to whom we should run. And when we do so, we don't need to fear when the earth gives way. We don't need to fear when waters roar and foam, and we don't need to fear when the mountains tremble. I mean, you, this, is, this is painting a pretty dynamic picture of, of an earthquake, of things going poorly, of flooding, of, of, of nature, which is not controlled by us, coming against the people of God. And what are we to do in those moments? And he says, you don't have to fear. You can trust me. I am your shelter. We don't need to fear these mighty physical realities because the reality of God is greater than the reality of the storm outside. Just like when I was in my house and I didn't need to fear the storm outside because I knew that the structure of my house was enough to sustain and protect me. When you see storms and turmoil and difficulty in your life, you don't need to fear, because, not because you're awesome or, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gather myself and I'm just going to white knuckle it through this. No, we don't fear because God is greater. That's good news, family. Is that good news to you? You don't have to manufacture awesomeness. You don't have to manufacture some sort of like Superman courage. There's some sort of like, uh, I, I can handle this. I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea. My, my parents didn't set me up for success and, and my job. And there's nothing about me that suggests that I can do this, but I'm going to in delusion think that I can do this all by myself. No, you, you probably can't. But God can because God is with us. He goes on and he says, there is a river whose streams make glad the, the city of God. He goes from this conversation about a torrent and, and waves and, 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 and water that's destructive to now this river that brings what? Relief. Whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. Even though the, the, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, the Lord of hosts, and he utters his voice, and the earth melts, and the Lord of hosts is with them. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's saying that all around these things are happening, but you know what? There's a river that flows to the people of God. And in that Old Testament, that was really represented by the place of Jerusalem, the place where the temple was, that, that God's grace and his mercy and his provision and his care flowed into that city. It flowed into that place. God's presence was there, and because of that, the people of God were filled with joy. God's presence with his people brings refreshing and gladness. I hope that you've experienced that as we've worshiped from time to time. There are these moments in worship where you, you, you come in and you're grumpy or you're hungry or you're probably both grumpy and hungry and, and, and you're tired and maybe you're sad and, and you're worshiping and, and you're, you're stepping in and you're like, oh, I'm going to sing this song. I don't, I don't like singing, but I'm going to do it anyways. And, and then eventually you get to this place of just being happy because God is good. 
There's something about drawing near to the presence of God that brings joy. What does it look like for God to be with us? It looks like this, that there's a river of God's redeeming, satisfying presence in our life. St. Augustine, the bishop of of a place called Hippo, wrote in one of his confessions, he wrote this this long confession of of his, his... sins and kind of pre-Christianity, then getting saved and, and just processing these things before God. It's, it's a pretty amazing uh, document that he wrote. And one of the first things that he says as he's kind of presenting the, the preamble is this. He says, you have or thou hast formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I'll say that again. You have formed us for, your, for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. Now, this is not scripture, but it speaks to the truth of scripture. Amen? There's something inside you that God has uniquely formed for himself. It's like that room that your parents had, and maybe you, had, maybe you even had like plastic on the furniture, but it was that room that like you're not allowed to go in. And, and it came from the time where people would call. They would come and they would visit. And, and so you had that room ready. Now, you didn't have your bedroom ready. You didn't have the other places ready, but they could come into that room. But that was for you, the visitors of your parents. That was not for you. If you went in there, you almost, you know, it's like going into the Holy of Holies. You might die. Right? You know that. And there's a place in your heart that God has prepared and made you for. Made for him. To receive him. Now, the problem is many of us, we've, we've tried to put other things in that house. We've tried to put other things in that, in that household, in that, in that room. We've tried to say, well, you know, I'm going to put my, this relationship in this room. And it's, it's gonna, it, but it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't belong there, and everyone knows it. You know it. They know it. You put, you put your job there. I'm going to put my job in there. It's going it's to be comfortable. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel good, and it doesn't. It doesn't fit. I'm going to put success there. I'm going to just going to fill that room up with trophies, with certifications, with, with proof that I, I can do it. But you look at that room and it just doesn't fit. The things that you've put in there just don't belong in that room because God belongs there. You and I have been shaped to long for God. And, and in Psalm 42, the psalmist reflects on that fact and he says this, don't, don't hear this. If you're familiar with this text, don't think of it as the, um, the pretty song from the 90s or the 80s. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where shall I come and appear before God? Now, if we're not careful, we, we, hear, we immediately hear that melody. As the deer. I'm not helping by, by alluding to it, but let's just be honest. That's what we think of. Oh, it's lovely. There's a deer and it's panting for streams of water. Nice. No, this deer is hungry. This thirsty. Deer's about to die. Deer's about to become deer jerky. This, this, this is a problem. And, and, and he says, in the same way that that deer longs for, for, for sustenance, for satisfaction, for, for, for water, so my soul thirsts for you. Some of you are in this room, and, and there's a numbness that you experience that, that just sits right on top of that thirst. 
You've pursued entertainment. You've pursued relationships. You've pursued things on the internet. You've pursued uh, success. You've pursued a lot of things to numb the fact that you are thirsty for God. God's made you for himself. Our sinful inclination is to try and meet those longings with material success, with entertainment, with relationships, with food, with status. I mean, I don't know how many of us, when just the moment you begin to feel quote-unquote bored, you start to look at your phone. Got to check my email. Got to look at the stats. Got to get on social media. Yes. We're, we're afraid to be alone with ourselves. But it's uniquely satisfying to be in the presence of God. Psalm 16, 11 says this. It says, you make known to me the paths of life. Instagram doesn't make known to you the paths of life. Your certification doesn't make known to you the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The pleasures of this world, they're not necessarily bad, but they're intended to point us to something else. You know, I don't remember when I figured it out, but I'll tell you this. So there's this wonderful ice cream shop near my house, and... Sometimes we'll get ice cream and then we'll go shopping elsewhere near, nearby. And one time, because I'm often one to do this, I got two scoops of butter pecan or pecan, whatever you want to call it, on a waffle cone, and it was awesome. And I got through one scoop because I'm a champion, and uh, I, I was like halfway through the second scoop and realized I had made a horrible decision. It just, it just was bad. I felt terrible. Uh, it was... It was, uh, it was a moment for me. I don't know if, I think it might be as my, I, I begin to get to a certain age, it, just something turned left and I, I didn't want it. Which, if, if you know anything about me, me saying, hey, do you, got, do you want the rest of this ice cream? I don't want it, is like saying, I am now a different person. Um, I speak a different language. It's strange. Are you okay? Where's Eddie gone? And, uh, and that was a nice thing. I love ice cream. It's okay. Eat some ice cream. Unless you can't because of health things, then don't. But if you can, then do. But, but that was never intended to be something that satisfied me forever. And when I treated it like something that was supposed to satisfy me for longer than it should, I got sick. And some of you, you may not be getting sick from ice cream, but you're getting sick from other things. You look at your relationships and you say, my life is a mess. Young people, being single and, 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 and dating can be a blessing so long as there's a purpose for which you do it, which is to get into a place of, of marriage where you are loving your spouse the way that Christ loved the church. Doing that, the dating thing, apart from that, is a mess. Married people, I could say the same thing to y'all. If you're doing anything apart from this marriage thing, it's not going to fix your spouse and it's not going to satisfy your desires. I'm belaboring this point. Um, there's satisfaction that's found in God alone. That's where the stream of God flows. It says, though the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, though everything is going crazy, what? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts, that is not God, the God of, of, of um, Twinkies. Right? That is not the God of, of really great... Uh, uh, hospitality people, right? This is not the host we're talking. We're talking about hosts of angels, hosts of warriors, hosts of, of people 
wielding sharp objects and, and heavy clubs and things that are intended to destroy and to, to, to cause victory to come to their team. The Lord of hosts is the one who is with us. There's this place in, in Joshua where, um, where, where Joshua is he's, he's going to the promised land and he comes across this, this warrior and he looks at the warrior and, and says, you know, are you for us or for the, the other guys? And, and the warrior says, no, I'm not for either. I'm, I'm the angel of the Lord. And in fact, you need to get on my page. And, and the angel of the Lord it was an expression of the power of God. And here he says, who is with us but the Lord of hosts? We don't need to fear because God is with us. He goes on and he says, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Why does he say the God of Jacob? Why doesn't he just say God? And I think that he's re- referring back to the, the, the salvation that God gave the people of God. In Exodus chapter 3, as, as God is speaking with Moses, and, and he's saying, and Moses is saying, who, who am I going to say I'm representing? Like, how am I going to show them and tell them that they need to follow me defy Pharaoh and go into the the wilderness. How is that going to happen? And and God responds and he says, he says, I am the God, actually he says this before that question, he says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And the point he was making is is that I am the covenant God who, who began this relationship with Abraham, who continued it with Isaac, who continued it with Jacob. As, as you read through the rest of Exodus, the God of Jacob is the God who brings the people of Abraham out of slavery into the promised land. He's the God who delivers his people. So when we say that the, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of, of Jacob is our fortress, he's saying the God who delivered and who delivers and who delivers will deliver me. The God who delivered over here, who, who, who called Abraham, who called Isaac, who called Jacob, who called Moses, who called David, will call me out into salvation. This is the God that we trust, and this is the God who is our fortress. As we, as we finish up, he goes on and he says this in verses 8 through 11. Come and behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. When do you break bows and, and shatter spears and burn chariots? When, when you've won and there's no more enemies. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In this last stanza, the psalmist reminds us that God is greater than the nations and the powers. I want you to carry this stanza with you next year. When, when, when everything is crazy, because I'm sure that it will, and when we start to talk about who we're voting for or who we're not voting for or what we believe about the United States, you carry this stanza in your pocket. Behold the works of the Lord. Not the works of this guy or this guy or this party or this party. How he's brought desolation. He makes wars to cease. He breaks the bow. He burns the chariot. Be still and know that he is God. God is a God of justice who brings judgment into the world. He's going to bring an end to all the wars. Do you know that's going to happen? Like, do you realize that there's going to be an end of this history. 
We can get carried, on, carried up with, with all the things that are going on in, in our life and, and the craziness in our, in our culture and, and what's going to happen in 10 years and what's going to happen to my grandkids. And, 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 and these are all fair questions. But we can begin to, to, to do that and forget that there's a future ahead for everyone who's trusting in God. And that that future is secure and it's victorious and it's, and it's, it's glorious. This is, this is the, 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 in Philippians 1.6, Paul says to the, the disciples or the Christians there, he says, you know, I, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. And, and that's a really nice thing to know. But this is the cosmic other side of that coin. Is that the God who, who began everything, who created everything out of nothing, who watched Adam and Eve ruin it all, and then said, you know what, I'm still going to, I'm going to, one of your seed, Eve, is going to crush the serpent and I'm going to bring about restoration and salvation. And then throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament is, is bringing about his salvation and, and showing us his power. That story of God starting something good is going to come about in completion. And at the end of it, he's going to say, I'm going to be exalted in all the earth. Your coworkers are going to worship God one way or another. Your neighbors are going to worship God one way or another. And we pray and ask God and plead, and, I, and I, I need to grow in this, and you need to grow in this. We need to ensure that they do so as a result of a, a response to the gospel. But let me tell you, there's no one who's not going to have to answer to God. He says, be still. Turmoil, be still. Wars, be still. Troubles, be still. And, and when he says be still, it's not like, when your parents said, be still, and you still were just kind of acting crazy. No, this is, this is the kind of be still where they said it in that tone, where you're like, ooh. My head might explode if she says that again. Be still and know that I am God. When you remember that the Lord of hosts is with you, then you can rest. You can trust. You can rely. Martin Luther, the same man who sparked the Reformation, wrote a famous hymn based on the psalm entitled, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The reason he could stand there and, and say those things was because he knew that God was his fortress. Luther stood in the face of danger and death because he knew that God was with him. In Mark, there's another man who, who stood with God. Well, it's actually in Luke. But in Mark chapter 15, as Jesus is being crucified he's he's crucified as a as a criminal like they treat him like a criminal this is a, a criminal case in verse 32 as everyone is jeering and, and making fun of him uh 15 not 14 it says this um so all the, also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saves others. He cannot save himself. Let the, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And listen to this. Those who were crucified with him on his left and his right also reviled him. So here Jesus is bleeding out in, in a great deal of pain, dying for the sake of, of, of these people in their place, many of whom well, some of whom would trust in him. And, and, and they're making fun of him. And even the people on, on the cross are making fun of him. But, but then something strange happens. If you look in Luke, at Luke's recording in Luke chapter 23, 
uh, in verse 39, it says this. Uh, I'll, I'll go to verse 36. The soldier also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Then, in verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us, right? Help us, Jesus. But the other, now they both had been making fun of him, but the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into his kingdom, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied to him and said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So something happened in, in, in that time where, where Jesus is on the cross and these guys are on the cross and he just, the light turns on and he realizes that nothing is his refuge. Right, he's on the cross, this, this thief, he's dying, he knows he deserves it. He's, he's about to die and experience whatever judgment comes afterwards, and he realizes it, and what does he do? He starts to rebuke the other guy and say, hey, we're here for good reason. And then he looks at Jesus and says, with, with just this ounce of faith, and he says, don't forget me. Don't forget me. With this hope that perhaps, what? Jesus could be his refuge. And, and what does Jesus do? He says, I'll be your refuge. You're going you're gonna to be in paradise with me forever. How awesome is that? And you, you're here in this room today, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, I got nothing. I got nothing to offer, God. My life is a mess. My world is a mess. My choices are a mess. My habits are a mess. And God says, you know, all you need to do is to trust me. Allow me to be your refuge. This is why... The Bible says that if we just trust, this is why Martin Luther fought. Because he wanted people to know that it's by faith in Jesus Christ that we're saved. Everything else is bankrupt. Everything else, when we try to treat it like a refuge, fails us. Jesus died to give us refuge. Refuge from the judgment of our sin, that guilt. Refuge from the consequence of our sin, death. Refuge from the result of sin, our separation from God. When you rely on Jesus, when you rely on God and not yourself, your guilt is taken away, death is not permanent, and you're reunited with God. Family, who is your refuge? Who is your fortress? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are our fortress and that you're a worthy fortress. God, I thank you that, that we can look to the future and, and you even give us glimpses in your word of the day when, when you will be exalted by all the earth, where there will be no question of who is Lord of lords and King of kings. God, I pray that you would comfort those who need to be comforted and encourage those who need to be encouraged, whose, whose knees need to be strengthened by this word. God, I pray that we would draw close to you, seek out your presence in your word and in prayer and that we would trust you. And God, I pray that you would show how bankrupt everything else is as a fortress. Lord, entertainment, friends, family, success, work, money, anything that we put in the place of you, that we put into that room that only was 
prepared for you. God, make us a people who rely on you and who can stand boldly like Martin Luther and others. Not perfect, not sinless, but men and women of conviction who will affect the world for your glory. Bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family.